right. Welcome to the Redleaf Retrocast Patreon. Thank you, everyone, for, well, listening and hopefully subscribing. If you're listening to us a couple weeks later over at the Big Egg Joshi Podcast, consider subscribing and helping us do all the tape trading. And boy, did it help out for this episode. We are doing Catch the Wave 2010. This is the Joshi 2010's journey through the decade, the coming out of the Dark Ages. Kay, it's good to be back. Yes, it is, especially given uh, we're starting with the second ever Catch the Wave tournament. I have become been, a big deal. I've been looking forward to, to this episode heavily. I've been hyping you up on the Catch the Wave tournament, how big of a deal it used to be. Oh, you weren't man. on the, the used to. <laughs> Oh, man, like Pro Wrestling Wave, this promotion, you have a whole episode dedicated to the promotion over at Big Egg Joshi. It was a great they help. Do. It was a great help learning and getting introduced to the promotion and what they were about. And this was a this was one of the bigger ones during this era. Yeah, it was them and what was left of Neo and JWP. It was pretty much the big three. Ice Ribbon was kind of on the come up a little bit still, and Sendai was kind of in its own little corner of the world, it felt like. Like, they were getting people in, but they weren't, like, making splashes as much as some of these other promotions were. Yeah, I mean, you can't forget about Oz Academy now. <laughs> I mean, you could totally forget about Oz Academy. <laughs> Actually, you do yourself a favor just to forget about Oz Academy. So Catch the Wave, to put it lightly, is a three-block tournament in 2010. There is the young block, consisted of the younger wrestlers. The rival block, which is consisted of a number of the more experienced ones. Kind of, They're not veterans quite yet, but they're around. And then there's the visual technical block, which is absolutely the veterans. Actually, so funny thing about the rival block, it's actually built up of people who have previous standing feuds. Well, it's I mean, the hence the name, yeah. Right, right. So even some of the ones in there aren't entirely veterans, but they all have had are are going on with feuds currently. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I under I understood that. So we got some interesting topics that we're going to talk about through each match. All the competitors, wrestlers, if you will, and uh, to tail end the podcast is a deep dive into a few subjects that absolutely came up. After watching this, this entire tournament took place from May 30th, 2010 through August 11th, 2010. What a strange way to, in a long time, it took to get this tournament over, over and done with. Yeah. Yeah. The catch the wave was always like sometimes two months, sometimes three months. Uh, sometimes it was just one month, depends on like the size of the tournament, but it was their big cash cow. It was kind of get all these freelancers to wrestle each other that don't normally wrestle each other and people would pay money for it. That's kind of, it was kind of their big cash cow for a long time there. Wouldn't start taking off though until what about 2013. It was definitely a big deal for them. I could see this strategy working out long in, in the long term because then you could build uh, shows around these cool freelance matchups, but this is the second one. And you don't have that drawing power yet. This just seems like a very strange way to go about things rather than just having, you know, a knockout tournament, if you will, or a block tournament where complete shows 
are made up of the block matches and you get it over with uh, quicker. But I can imagine because of the scene at the time where basically everyone is a freelancer at this point that you, you're you going to have to work around everyone's booking schedules. Right, and that's probably why it was done for over a longer period of time because you're not going to... I mean, Kana's in this, and Kana was getting a lot of bookings around this time, so you would have to work around her bookings and EO and Mio's bookings and stuff like that. So it was probably very much more to do with that. And I still think that was the case going on in the future, but maybe people made more time for Wave because they realized how much money they would be making from these tournaments. Yeah, and you did a little research and found out that they actually lost money these first couple of years doing these things, correct? Yes, they actually didn't make any money. Uh, they weren't. They didn't lose a lot of money on these first two, but it, it was starting to be something that they weren't gaining money on. It wasn't until like 2013 when they had a big boom on it and people were coming and they were making... It was like the first time they were profitable on it was 2013. This year, I would say they lost money, but I wouldn't put too much on that. They didn't lose like tons of money, otherwise they wouldn't have done it again. It makes any sense. But they did lose money. They weren't making money on these tournaments so far at this point. Right. So on our journey in 2010 so far, we've seen a lot of these names that have come up. We're going to see some names for the very first time. We're going to see a lot of people from kind of Arsian backgrounds and JD Star influence and backgrounds. Funny enough, uh, if you want to learn yeah. more about JD Star, K, you do special $5 to your Patreon episodes for JD Star. Yes, yes, JD Star starting at 20, uh, 2001. It's um funny because that during that time where I'm at right now, they're actually doing a kickboxing thing or trying to build up their first uh, big star they're trying to build around. Amy Tojo is a kickboxer. And uh, some of the girls on this this show from JD Star have very much a kickboxing influence in their style. Very interesting. Yeah, very much obvious. One in particular extremely stood out to me. So let me go over the names that have been entered into this tournament in each block, okay, if you don't mind. Go ahead. So in the young block, we have Io Shirai, Sawako Shimono, rookie, I believe, Ryo Mizunami, the old Sendai stalwart at this point in time, very much looks like a person straight out of Sendai. <laughs> Boy, does she. Yeah, the onesie gear, the haircut, the style, etc., uh, etc. Et Senri Kurioki, another rookie-type person, and Misaki Ohada. Yeah, Ohada herself, fresh out of JD Star at this point. Uh, yeah. 2007 when it closed, so what, three years on the scene, uh, being a freelancer, and God, she looks like a star, doesn't she? She, like, you can tell, we're going to get into a few of these wrestlers in particular, that there's certain people that you should absolutely build a company around, build them up to be stars, but there's going to be some choice decisions here on this show that uh, really gets us scratching our head. So that was the young block. The rival block, Shu Shibutani, kind of starting to make a name for herself after a few years at this point. Moika Haruhi, who I'm not quite familiar with. Cherry, someone we're very familiar with, uh, very much kind of a uh, trainer and veteran of the industry at this point in time in 2021. 
huge prospect Asami Kawasaki, very much JD Star influenced to the core, and you could absolutely compare her to Arisa Hoshiki, uh, whom a lot of people may have uh, know about her at this current point in time. So Asami Kawasaki, keep that name in mind. And it's then, uh, funny that you say that, actually, mm-hmm. because Fuka trained Arisa personally when they were doing the training, when she had a lot more hands-on with Arisa right. in stardom, and Fuka was straight out of, well, J.D. Star. Right. So, hey. And the last name in the rival block is my girl, my favorite wrestler on this journey so far, Ayumi Kurihara. The suplex machine. Yeah. And super talented. It's, Jesus Christ, it's a shame. Dear God, is she the powerhouse and then the visual technical block kana there you go yumi oka booker woman of wave <laughs> 31 years old at this point in time i believe with uh with that age <laughs> gammy the former llpw rcn and financial runner of wave mio shirai the older sister of one Io Shirai, and Toshi Umatsu, the kind of wacky uh, industry vet mid-carder. Um, forget where she comes from. I think also LLPW or JWP, one of the two. Uh, I, I do know she spent some time in Gaia. I can't remember exactly where she came from, but she did come from that sort of 90s school of things. Yeah, yeah. So you can tell. So those are your names. Now, before I had I had kind of a prediction of who was going to come out of each block cuz I did not know the results as we watched this. I've watched this tournament twice because as soon as we got our hands on it, we immediately watched it and then it went uh kind of kind of a long time before we recorded this episode and had I ended up watching it a second time and I noticed some new things. But my initial prediction of whom was going to come out of each block, I thought uh, Io Shirai was going to come out of the young block. Rival block, I had uh, I had my money on Ayumi Kurihara. Uh, maybe there was a little bias there, but... <laughs> and then out of the visual technical block, I was pulling for Kana, but I was going with Booker Woman Yumi Oka uh, for, <laughs> for that one, knowing the industry. And then there was a fourth person. So the way they go is you get the block winner, and then on August 11th, they ran a show where there would be a battle royal, okay, with uh, many of the names that just didn't make it, and whomever won the battle royal would then get uh, put into the semifinals. So kind of a latch, a last chance battle royal to get into the semifinals and get your chance to go to the finals. So keep that in mind. Whom was your predictions, yeah. Kay? So... I didn't remember the results to this one, which helped when I did my predictions because I already I had seen some of these results prior when I did my wave episode, but I didn't remember this one. But for some reason, I had a, a gut feeling that uh, the person that ended up winning it was the one I felt like was going to win it, just because I I knew that Oka had won the first year. Like, okay, well, Booker Woman won the first year when Gammy had the book. <laughs> And now it's the other way around where Oka has the book and Gammy does the financial stuff because he would swap here and there sometimes. And I'm like, so, you know, my gut tells me that there's a reason why Gammy doesn't have the book is because, well, she technically might still have the book. 
And so I had I thought Gammy was gonna come out of it all and I mean I guess spoilers on that one. Whoa, but, um, hey, we gotta we gotta go through it and get get the suspense up. And I, I must correct myself. August tenth was the day of the last chance battle royal. Survival wave, they called it. At least that's a cool name. Right. Well, I thought from the young block, I had Ohana, because I remember Ohana being kind of treated like a star, but never really but all the way up there. Like, she would always go, like, the peg below the min of it, get knocked back down. Right. It was sort of her fate. Yeah, they had a they had a lot of the uh, block finals and, and some final matchups on the August 10th show. So let's get into it, Kay. You ready? All right. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we're just going to go this block by block, because the... DVD set that we acquired through our awesome little tape trading. Uh, it went, it, it played the show out where it played all the young block matches in a row, all the way to the finals. Then it played all the rival block, and then it played all the visual technical block, and then it played um, the August 10th and August 11th shows back to back to each other. Some of these matches were kind of cut uh, for time purposes and. I would say, despite the cuts, I don't feel like I missed anything in really any of the key matches. Do you? No, I don't think so. I think that they did a good job on the cutting. Some of the promotions around this time did a tor terrible job of that. And I think this was probably one of the better examples of it. Yeah. So, you know, uh, matches were usually kept pretty short for whomever was involved. And if there was a, a bigger matchup, like an Io Shirai versus Mizunami matchup, uh, they actually gave them uh, a decent amount of time, and they may the DVD may have cut out maybe a minute of it, which is most likely either a kind of spill to the outside moment, and they're just getting up trying to beat a ten count, or uh, they're just kind of locked in a hold, and they kind of cut entrances. Um, so very acceptable, a good DVD, and a good represent representation of how to go through the tournament. And I'll be honest, kind of this was an easy show to watch. Uh, over like the three and a half hours this DVD was. <laughs> and I quite liked a lot of the matchups that I was looking forward to. There was, uh, there was a few that we'll get into, and I will absolutely bury the hell out of them. But I enjoyed this tournament. How about you, Kay? I did as well. I think especially because around the time, like looking at especially young Io Shirai was always something I like going back to with someone's while because you get to see her raw talent before she started refining everything. And Jesus Christ, that's a prodigy. If I've seen one. Oh, it's a, it's that. a prodigy like, without it. ring direction. She is a jumping bean. She just wants to go to the top and fly constantly. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. <laughs> she, is, she is wild. I think the, the words that Mio used to use when talking about her was, um, she was wild and unrefined, but she was better wrestler than Mio ever wished she was. Those are words she used uh, a couple of years ago, I think, when asked about her sister. Uh, this is when Io was leaving for the avoid. It was asked about her. It's like, you could see it. You could definitely see, like, Mio was the more refined wrestler that looked better. But, like, you could just see the amount of talent in Io. I was like, yeah, when she gets a ring of all of that, she's definitely going to be, like, one of the best in the world. And shocker, she becomes one of the best in the world. Who knew? There you go. All right, so let's get into the young block here. Io Shirai defeats Sawako Shimono, the rookie. Not much to say in that match. Ryu Mizunami defeated Senri Kurioki. Another rookie just takes the fall. No surprise there. You know, they're doing they're doing their they're getting their shit in and they beat the rookie. What else more is to say? Masake Wada, same deal, defeats Shimono. 
And then we get into the better matches. Okay. Ryu Mizunami versus Io Shirai goes 10 minutes to a draw. Yeah, there's a lot of those that you're gonna start seeing in um, every catch the wave tournament. Like I think we see we see it in like the five star with stardom, uh, especially in previous years, not this last one. Excuse me, but um, and the catch the wave there's a lot of that because you're getting freelancers or people from other companies working with each other, and so you kind of have to make some kind of sacrifice for finishes. And you'll see well, when we get to more of these, you'll start seeing a lot more of them. Well, here's my thought on this. Because the draw was definitely a go-to booking decision. And as we see in, okay, let's say stardom. The use of the draw is an incredible, you have to be able to use this well. And I feel stardom, sticking with the five star, because it is a tournament much like this, a block tournament as well. It's not so much about protecting the wrestler. It's about building suspense for the sake of the table and positioning. So I feel stardom in the five star always tends to use it very well. And someone comes out of it getting over, right? The person who you think right. is an incredible underdog uh, might get a flash victory, might get a substantial victory. Like uh, key one is Micah over Momo in last year's five star, which was really cool. And that played into a very long-term story, building her up. And then there's draws like, uh, I want to say Himika and Sayakamatani was a huge uh, draw that affected kind of points built up to a lot of suspense down the stretch for later shows. This show, however, Catch the Wave 2010, it felt very much like a booking crutch. And it was very aggravating. Right, and it's never going to not feel like that just a heads up because they're not booking it for the suspense because well you're not dealing with the roster because let's be real wave doesn't have a roster at this point they're the biggest company but they're still really heavily reliant on freelancers they have like maybe four or five people on roster that's going to be and, a big topic two, of discussion at the end here and two of those are these rookies in this match it's two of them these rookies don't last mind you because wave didn't hold on to rookies so it's like the, the roster was nothing. So they're so re reliant on freelancers that you kind of can't do something like that because you can't have a long-term booking decision. You have to be like, well, so-and-so won't do the job to so-and-so, so we have to do this as a draw. So it's unfortunate, but that's how all of these end up going. I understand kind of the politicking involved. However... I feel that it would have been much more beneficial to just say to a couple people, look, we're going to push the hell out of you. You are going to come out of this thing. Are you in or out? Right. To other people. We want to push you and make you, we want to use you. Right. And it, let, let's just say Ohada. They want to make Ohada the star of the young block. Okay. We're, we're just talking off the cuff here. If Io Shirai, Ryu Mizunami, have an issue with it, or the people that... I mean, they're freelancers. Well, okay. Uh, Mizunami's associated with Sendai at this point in time, and Io Shirai is very much a freelancer. So... Yes, but she's with Kana and Mio. They're a clique. Okay, so if... If you want to... If they have an issue with losing to Ohada, 
then and if they flat out decide to just be against uh, the use of, say, Ohada beating her in the finals of the Young Block, then I gotta say, is it even worth using them at, at that point when you can... Because no one's draw, no one's a huge draw at this point in time, and you gotta build stars. It's, it's, a, it's a tough question to ask at this point in time because they just never did anything like that, so we just don't know how that would have worked out I would say it's at least worth trying, and there was there. I mean, there's got to be enough freelancers around there that are in the undercard, midcard, and they're so used to losing at this point. Who whom is worth protecting when everyone is unprotected? So I understand the click aspect of the triple tails, <laughs> sisters involved. Maybe you can push Yosurai over Ohada, and that or don't use her. You get what I'm saying here. Alright, well, so I'm going to bring up three big problems with what you said. What, what you said makes a lot of sense. It wouldn't make sense under normal circumstances. Um, but this tournament was the second ever time. It didn't make any money off the first one, so they're trying to make some kind of money off of this one. So you True. want to have people like EO and Mio and people with followings that'll come to your show and buy stuff, right? Buy tickets, buy merch, things like that, right? Maybe they stick around to another show. You want that, right? So if you get EO to walk, well, you get her fans to walk too because her fans likely aren't going to be there to find the other wrestlers if they're there for EO first, right? You need EO to get them in the door. Second problem is you could say, well, hey, we want EO to lose. And then Kana's like, no, you don't. What you do? <laughs> have, have EO walk? Well, then you just lost Kana and Mio. You lost three people. Now you have to replace three people with freelancers that at this point don't exist. Mid-card freelancers, sure, they're around, but they're not drawing any money, and you're not booking them because they're not worth booking in a tournament like this. Well, then, couldn't you hypothetically make that business uh, ticket sales up with running less shows and changing up the booking just a little bit, tweak it up a little bit, maybe change some people in these blocks around where... You can have the people that you uh, that that need protecting because of the industry, because uh, there's a few, there's a lot of names like in that rival block and in in the rookies, in the young block. You could have switched names around for all this to work out way better and make it a lot more. I I, I feel that you could have made them more exciting uh, down the stretch, especially. So, again, this being the second year, they're still figuring this out. In the 2016 tournament, the biggest one they've ever had, we'll see a lot of interesting matchups, maybe not interesting results, but that's probably the one that's made the most money for them, and it's because they had a bunch of interesting matchups that nobody had seen prior, right? Right. Tsukasa versus um, Kanako Nakamori might have been one off the top of my head, and that's a match nobody sees, right? But with, with something like this, at this point in the scene, there isn't anybody. Like you could say, well, let's run less shows. Well, you're not going to make any money. Well, that's why I'm saying you gotta way. build someone up. You just have to make right. a decision at some point. You can't just right, but you running... can't just continue doing this. And I get it, it's the second year. I get exactly what you're saying. I don't disagree with any of that. I'm just throwing out ideas how this could have been and should have been better and building something up more long term than just we're gonna run this tournament and then be done with it in three months. Right, and I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. Like, I think they could have made this better. They should have made this better. The entire scene, this isn't just a wave thing. This is an entire scene owes this problem to themselves. And right, it's a great representation of the problem right now in the scene. 
fight, right? Because like you have like again, there's names that are big that aren't even in this tournament. Emi Sakura, not here. Sukasa Fujimoto, not here. Karayonyama, not here. These are names that would cost more money. Right. So you see, they're trying to balance people that can bring money in with people who they could have lose, like the rookies that they have that don't last. Right. Someone like Ryu Mizunami, who they can have kind of who's maybe with Sendai, but Mako doesn't really care about her. Right. Which is obvious with everyone it comes to Sendai. That's not Chihiro Hashimoto. Even then, it's questionable, right? So it's like you could do certain things to move around that. The problem is, is where the scene's at at this point. They have long since passed making stars. You can't use a tournament like this to make stars because you don't have anybody. You have two rookies. Like, Ohada's already a person. I mean, I'm, no, I'm sorry. Oka's already a person. Gami's already a person. So those are your people. So you don't make them ah, people. So here we go. Okay, so we'll get to we'll get to the visual technical block because I have thoughts over that one. So let's continue on. Right. We're kind of rambling at this point. Uh, yeah, Mizunami Shirai. Did you enjoy this match, despite it going to a draw? Well, yeah, I mean, again, I enjoy watching young Io, and then watching Rio at this point in her career is always very interesting because her style is kind of similar now, but she's added more personality. You don't see that personality as much in here. Like You see some of it, but because she's in Sendai, she's not allowed to show it. <laughs> right, much. yeah. She is a built like a brick shithouse at this point in time, which is really oh, she's cool always, to see. She's always been built. Like, Jesus Christ, she's always been built. That's the Sendai training. Go to the fucking gym. Work at the farm. Fine. <laughs> the, the problem is, is you're not allowed to have any any individuality to an extent. Like, there's like a... You can have some personality, but there's a cap. Because Big Mama Mako doesn't want you to have individuality. Otherwise, you'll leave Big the farm. Big Mama Mako. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Ryu Mizunami goes to a draw against Misaki Ohada. And... This is probably the best Ohada we have seen up until another match with her. Uh, yeah, Mizunami also looks good. I mean, she's a suplexing machine. She's got her leg drop. She's got her cross-arm choke from the ground. Everything kind of uh, goes well into each other. Good transitional worker. Loving M Mizunami here. Really gets me to further appreciate what she was bringing. I just think it's funny that she put her they, they put her in the young block. Yes, technically she's young, but she's obviously the most experienced out of everyone in, in this block. Oh yeah, definitely. But by Sendai standards, she's on the younger end. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so why they put her in here. The, so the problem with Sendai is like look at look at Rio. We think it could get you at some point as well. We'll probably get to her at this point, right? Like, oh my god, they're good, they're talented. But did you know that they're jobbers in Sendai? Yeah. There's a reason why both of them leave Sendai. Because fuck you, Mako. You don't know how to make stars. You're just having these really talented people just walk on you. And then you wonder why you don't have a... Like, your roster doesn't grow. It's right. stuff like that. My favorite match of the block is Io Shirai going to a draw against Misaki Ohada. And we definitely see a lot of personality coming out of Ohada. She's got a nice little rivalry kind of built up against Io Shirai. And that plays in even to, into a match uh, later. Really enjoying Ohada with her with her very unique style, at least comparatively to the scene. She's kind of what the scene ends up becoming over the course of the decade, where it's a, it's like a high speed style, a lot of roll ups. Uh, she's got the idle look to her, uh, very much out of JD Star, of course, as you mentioned. And Io Shirai is just <laughs> an athletic monster, just diving off the top rope, springboard drop kicks. There's no <laughs> Again, there's no structure to her at all. She just wants to do flips and cool shit, and the crowd absolutely reacts to her. This made for an excellent, excellent, and fun match. 
I love this match. It's probably my favorite match of the entire tournament, if I remember correctly. Ohana, like you said, like what she does ends up becoming kind of what the scene comes to an extent. Again, the influence of JD Star is crazy how those threads weave. It's just nuts every time I think about it. But Eo is how effortless does it look like everything she does is? Oh yeah, it looks like she's not even trying. She never botches. Like ever. No. No. It's nuts just how good she is. And she's like been in for like two years at this point, right? Two or three years maybe. Tops. She is this fucking good. It's just it's nuts. Like you said, she's just not refined. And I mean, seeing her and Ohada two, I think of the, the, the youngest and brightest wrestlers of this generation. Oh, at it is just a joy at this point in their career. Yeah. Shame we don't get to see a whole much lot more of it going forward. Mizunami defeats Shimono, rookie, and then we get to the block finals of the young block, and due to a three-way tie, Mizunami versus Shirai versus Ohada. They go to a 10-minute, 46-second match, and they they do a cool little thing where they where it's an elimination match, so two out of three falls, essentially. Uh, this molded very well together. Ohada just stares down Shirai. Ohada stares down Mizunami. Mizunami is kind of the third wheel to the to the uh, personality sector, but she's there to kind of keep this match in order. And I thought it delivered on all fronts. Had a really fun finish, where <laughs> where Shirai sneakily rolls up Ho o Ohada, gets the three count, and then right after Mizunami does the running kind of leg drop to Shirai and pins her, and Ohada is pissed at Shirai, so nice little rivalry there. It carried over. Uh, <laughs> you would have to go to all these shows, which is wacky, because these weren't all in the same town either, or same building. They These were all over the place. So I could only imagine in 2010 trying to keep up with all this in real time. You just have no clue, like, who's in the lead, what's going on. You're just going to a show, and you're like, hey, this is a block match. Oh, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> so, so it's funny you mentioned that. So they didn't sell individual tickets sometimes to these shows. They sold bundle tickets to multiple shows so that oh. you could keep track of things. And so they can maximize future profits on other shows. It was kind of a smart business move, and they would do that going forward at most of these catch-the-wave tournaments. Like, you wouldn't buy just one ticket. You could buy one ticket. You could. It'd be like pulling teeth sometimes because they really wanted you to buy those multiple tickets. They make you, hey, hey, if you bought this one, though, you might not know what goes on when the next time you come around to watch it. Oh, you want to buy these bundle of four tickets to four shows? They want to get that fourth show. Hey, you want to buy four more? It's, 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 it's good, and that's what they had to do, I think. I don't know if they were doing it at this point. I do know they implement that going forward. It's very interesting. You're right, though, because you wouldn't know what's going on. And I guess they just assume you'll go to every show at this point? Yeah, I mean, I've been to indie tournaments out here in New England. I, I went to a couple in Toronto uh, when I was living out there. And if, if there were ever indie shows, they'd make sure to give you at least a flyer or a program to show you the, sta the current standings if it went over the course of uh, more than one day or multiple weekends or whatnot. Uh, so that that... I could imagine them doing something like that as well. Maybe on the back of a ticket you're selling, it's like, hey, uh, by the way, this is this is the program, this is the updated blocks, that kind of situation. Uh, not unlike today, where you could just look on your phone and see <laughs> see the updates uh, digitally. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I just like the idea of like a, a gammy and a trench coat, like, hey, hey, buy four tickets. 
for tickets to these shows. You sure you sure you want to buy one? You I don't know what's going to happen. You I can see Gammy scalping her own tickets. <laughs> <laughs> right. Outside of arenas. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. It's like, hey, hey, I got a flyer here. It's be like about 10 yen or, or four tickets. Yeah, it's really funny. She's in sunglasses, the black trench coat. She's standing outside her own arena that she's booked. Uh, claims it's sold out, but she's really got to sell out like a sell a hundred more tickets. She's like, "Hey, I got I got an inside." And there's Yumioka like in the background going, "Yeah, yeah, I'll get the other fifty later." You know, just try to get those first fifty sold. <laughs> Anyways. I can totally see that being a thing. It's hilarious. Rival block. Let's go over the names one more time. It's been a little while. Shushi Bitani, Moeko Haruhi, Cherry, Asami Kawasaki, and Ayumi Kurihara. First match, Shushi Bitani, Moeko Haruhi, 13 minutes. Don't know why it went that long. Moeko is quite rough to watch. And Shushi Bitani has developed into quite a nice little mid-card talent with, uh, you know, she's got her denim-type stuff on. She does a lot of kicks. Uh, Reminds me a lot of a lesser Kana-type style wouldn't shock me if they kind of trained together at some point in time at least uh coming from the, uh, stemming from the same kind of background of kickboxing and whatnot so yeah so with moika it's interesting because she was trained by amy sakura you wouldn't know it if you see her though in this match at the very least you wouldn't know that she was trained by emmy it's it's, it's kind of weird she did come from like the sort of neo class of things she sort of came up through neo mm. So, early Neo, I well, think. Well, not everybody is talented. <laughs> no, 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 or, definitely or at not. Least ta- at least take to the level of talent that they're trained. How about that? Is that a right, better but she's like five, better but she's like five years in at this oh, point. I'm aware. I, I saw, hey, I saw the cage match. <laughs> oh, you saw the cage match. <laughs> okay. Uh, Cherry, I believe, rolls up Shushi Batani. I'm kind of going the, the results off memory here. So, just, you know, if I get some wrong, it, it kind of doesn't matter. We know how it how it all plays out in the end. So we'll just get to that. Uh, Asami Kawasaki. Uh, well, okay. So the Cherry Shushi Batani match went three minutes. Uh, it was very much a roll-up kind of match. A Cherry-style match, if you will. Especially during the time where Cherry was like comedy roll-around shit. Yeah. Makes sense for the character. It's fine. Yeah. Kawasaki against Haruhi. So this is when we see Kawasaki for the first time. She is a very tall, uh, lanky, very much kickboxing uh, oriented, lots of running big boots. Arisa Hushiki, without a more refined MMA background, uh, and exudes a lot of potential, and you definitely saw it in this tournament. Unfortunately, because when you're coming out of this block and you just go, man, I could totally see Asami Kawasaki becoming a big star in the future. She retires later this year. Yeah, so she's interesting because both her and Shu Chubitani both came from JD Star. And I think Asami, hers, like if memory serves when I was kind of looking into JD Star stuff, hers has more to do with retirement because of her acting career. Sort of mounting, nagging injuries sort of affecting her acting career. Because mm-hmm. she was one of the actress girls. She was one of the, uh, not actress girls, but you know what I mean, like the the, was it the Atlas? Act- There's a name yeah, that yeah. I'm finding that they used for them. But she was one of those, her and Shu. And the problem there is that I think she always had injuries, was always taking periods of time off, and that was affecting her acting. Which is like probably where she made most of her money anyways. So that's why I, I think that's why she ends up retiring. 
What could have been? Shushi Batani defeats Ayumi Kurihara. I thought technically this was the best worked match of the rival block. I mean, I love me some Kurihara. She's clearly a big star in the making. She just needs that extra push to just go over the top, and she could go anywhere and be a big drawing factor for any company. And I really want to make that known that all it takes is like one person coming to your company that's over and you will start drawing and then you can just work off that from there. That's all it takes. And wh whether they wanted to use Shibutani to maybe be a close second, maybe someone out of the young block like Ohada, Yoshirai, anybody, right? Just pick at least one. So we'll get to more Kurihara. But this match was awesome. I put this up on the Daily Motion account. I put a lot of these matches up on the Daily Motion account so you can follow Redleaf Retrocast and see all these matches we're talking about. Okay, I love this match. And I love the upset. I know. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, especially because so Kurihara is a very interesting case. I think she's probably the most interesting case out of sight of Sohara in this tournament of sort of the potential you see there. I feel like her career was doomed from the start because she came out of A to Z. For those who don't know, A to Z is Arcean, but under Oha under Yumika Hota's banner. Mm -hmm. So she was kind of, I feel like she was always doomed once she left Ho under Hota to kind of not be anything because Hota has people that she knows. Right, and so it's like, well, you flunked out of Hota's banner. So how do how do we expect you to be anything? Well, left Hota's that's banner, not flunked out. So did Kana. Right. Well, no, Kana's a very different sort of animal altogether. I feel like a lot of her thing is because she made notoriety on her own, and Kurihara just didn't have. Oh, Kana had to make a lot of waves and a lot of enemies to get the notoriety that she had early in her career. She was like two, two three years in. Mm -hmm. She was already, she was put out the manifesto, as it's called, the Joshi, right, the yeah. first Joshi manifesto, bad-mouthing a bunch of the scene uh, for doing gravier shoots and not wrestling, like, realistically. Uh, most of her stuff was targeted, the JD Star promotions and stuff like that. Uh, there's some digs at the old guard, and then she would have the second one where she would just flat-out name people. So it's like she had to make a lot of controversy for herself, which ended up making her have to leave Japan anyways because she had so many enemies. And I don't think Kurihara wanted that kind of lifestyle. Just, just going out on a little him. Well, so. Kurihara at least made uh, made some good friends in Neo, and uh, she's she's clearly a star in the making. Should right. be anyways. Well, you'd hope so, right? Asami Kawasaki versus Shu Shibitani. This was an intense kickboxing match, basically, and this is one of. Kawasaki's last matches and basically one that uh, will kind of be her go-home last hurrah. And this was really good. A uh, lot, of, lot of good hard kicking. Uh, Shibatani looks great uh, in, in working with someone that's very familiar with her style as well. This worked. Uh, this, is the, this is the best young um, best young person match that you can kind of hope for. Right, the battle of the uh, two former JD Star wrestlers, right. and it, it is kind of fitting that this is one of the last matches that she has against somebody that she is familiar with. Because I don't know much about these two, like how they interacted with each other prior. But, like you could tell from this match that they knew each other well in ring, at least. 
because they had really good chemistry, which usually is a sign of either compatibility or they've known each other for a long time. And since they both came through JD Star, I'd imagine that maybe it's the latter. Right. right. It, it is a shame because I thought Asami looked great. Looking at some of her stuff in other years prior to this, she looks really good. And would think that she has this high upside, but like again, nagging injuries affects that sort of deal. So, and right. her actress career seems to have done more for her. Well, maybe Shushi Batani could have been uh, could have been something as well. So, a lot of these matches, I will say, we go by the recommendation scale: uh, no stars, no re- not recommended, one star, won't waste your time, worth checking out, two stars, definitely worth checking out, and then the three stars is the high recommendation. I'm going to say nothing met the three-star scale, but a lot of matches, which I pretty much put them all up on Daily Motion here, all those matches pretty much got the two stars, and everything else I hmm, range from the not recommended to the one star, like Moaka Haroi versus Cherry, that's not a recommendation, not really anything special. I, Ayumi Kurihara versus Asami Kawasaki, I mean, what's there not to like with a very tall girl with a karate background with some judo uh, against the suplex machine Kurihara, who's an up-and-coming star. They molded well. Uh, just Kurihara made Kawasaki look even better than the Shushi Patani match. It's good stuff. Do you disagree with any of this? I don't disagree at all. I do think that I I spent a lot of time because you've been talking about the matches. I've been a lot of time talking about the wrestlers and the well, that's sort of standings and why, stuff. That's why, but... that's why we're bouncing. <laughs> right, right. And I, and I think a lot of that has to do with not the matches not being worth talking about, but this being a pivot point and being interesting to talk about where some of these careers go or where I know that they go and how just kind of how this is a this tournament is a good representation of the scene. It absolutely and I know we'll is. talk about that a little bit later. And and it's it's kind of a, a good foreshadowing of what the scene kind of becomes. And I can't wait till we start talking about some other promotions out there. We continue going through Ice Ribbon, uh, which is very important. The emergence of stardom and TJPW is going to be very much worth talking about. And then where the rest of these companies, well, see how they turn out. Ayumi Kurihara versus Cherry. Eh, you know, fun match. Give it probably one star. Cherry versus Kawasaki. It's it's look, they're all cherry. <laughs> when you see Cherry, you've you've seen every one of her matches. A little comedy, a little roller. Uh, and then the very last match in the block is Ayumi Kurihara defeating Moika Haroi. Kurihara basically won this block basically outright. Didn't have any sort of this block didn't have any drama at the end. They probably could have booked that a little better. Maybe booked Shushi Batani to kind of have that tie-breaking victory over if it went to a draw situation, or if they, I, I have, a, I just have a nagging kind of gut feeling that Kawasaki kind of informed them over the summer during this tournament that hey, I'm probably going to retire in two months or so, and they're like, ah, shit, we have to pivot off of that news. And maybe that's what led to it. It's just speculation and gut feelings on that. But uh, needless to I say, Curry Hara came out of the block. Absolutely the right decision. <laughs> no questions asked. Oh, yeah, 100%, 100%. Because the other people in that block. I mean, Cherry at this point in her career is not somebody you're putting at the top of cards. And nor should you even currently today. Even though she's a much better in-ring wrestler, she's finally showing some wrestling abilities. 
Uh, she's not somebody you main event. So. All right. Visual technical block. Going through the names one more time quickly. Kana, Yumioka, Gami, Mio Shirai, and Toshi Yamatsu. Tommy's a referee for a lot of this tournament. Just kind of noting that. Yeah. You'll see a lot of her. You'll just see a lot of her. She's all over the place. Yeah. Back then and even now. AEW uh, Ice Ribbon Dojo referee. <laughs> Tommy. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And uh, commentary thinking she's a guy. Was, nah, it's okay. Uh, hysterical. It's okay. Hysterical. <laughs> it was hysterical. All right. So let's get through this. Kana versus Yumioka. Three and a half minutes. It looked like it was going to be a good, hard, heavy-hitting match, and then Kana just catches her, makes her tap out. What a good start to Booker Woman taking the fall to Kana. I like this. Yes, uh, but little did we know there's a reason why she took the fall here. Well, <laughs> hey, uh, whoa, whoa, hey. Uh... Uh, listen, I love Kana. Listen, Kana, like all of you people who, who see her in WWE as Asuka don't know shit. I watched Kana. Kana was a bad bitch. She kicked you in the head and she had like submissions where she was about to break your arm. Like she could shoot on people. Legit. So it's crazy. She's just really good. Well, just like WWE, she does end up taking a lot of shitty falls near the ends when it counts and then you kind of forget about her. Anyways, Gammy versus Mio Shirai. Look, Mio Shirai, <laughs> she's fine. Like I like her. You like her. We think she's wholesome fun. She's got a nice little kind of charisma to her, mean streak, lots of good strikes and kicks. She's not all that great. She's fine. No, but she is the more put together of the Shirai sisters. Well, I mean, she can actually put a match structure together, so I will give her that edge over Io Shirai. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, right. It's, 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 it's funny because Mio's even said that. Like, there's people who still want to say that Mio is better than Io, and those people are nuts. Because yeah, Mio herself no. says that she's not better than her sister. She's like, no, no, my sister, well, best in the world. Me, I'm okay. She's not wrong. She's good for what she does. She's she's a fun wrestler to watch. She has her own little niche. Um, has her own nice little career too, and still kind of working around a nice ribbon and doing stuff. But she's fine. But you can't compare her to the best to a prodigy, and she even realizes that. <laughs> So Gammy here is like 42 years old. She's kind of beaten and broken. She's very slow in the ring. She's kind of relying on a little bit more character work to try to try to stay over and relevant. This match goes to a draw. More on the mighty Gammy later. Gammy looks every bit of 42. She looks every bit of 42. Very much broken after the hard kind of Arcean style that she went to. Arcean, right? I think that's where she, where she hung out. LLPW. LLPW. Well, then she went into Arcean, right? Yes, but she yeah, was yeah, yeah. primarily an LLPW wrestler. She would yeah. just wrestle in Arcean like most of them did at the time. Right, okay. She never signed Arcean. No, no, no. I didn't. Right, but that's where she was wrestling. Okay. Gammy versus Kana. Uh, this one, we got a lot cut out, and thank God, because it was slow AF, okay? <laughs> um... Look, you would think she'd at least be able to do kind of a more kind of hard-hitting style to match with a Kana kind of striking battle. But my God, it was just a lot of slow motion, a lot of cradles. I was not into this match. Thank God half of it was cut out. 
Yeah. Um. Gammy. Gammy, not good wrestler. Shocking. No. And nobody. Time, time has not been kind to her. Right. And nobody can beat her. Yumioka, Toshi Matsu. Toshi Matsu. She is in phenomenal shape. But she is a little too ambitious for her own good sometimes. She's very wacky. She does some kind of wacky little indie moves with the ropes in and out of the ring slingshot situation. It's very strange. I'm not into Toshi Omatsu at all in this tournament. I don't hate her. I'm just not into her. She can go kind of kick rock somewhere else. She absolutely was booked correctly where she lost a lot in this block, and she should have. <laughs> Oh, you don't like Toshi Uematsu? She died for you and it died for everybody in Gaia. See some of those gifts that I, that I remember sharing with you of just Chikusa just putting her through a fucking table. Then elbowing her through a table. Very, I'm very okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Toshi Uematsu was never going to be a big wrestler. She was okay. No, she was definitely she, in that Yumi was. Ogura type role. <laughs> I mean, she was uh, okay. I think Yumi Ogura was a better wrestler. Well, yes, but she was booked like Yumi Ogura. <laughs> I wouldn't insult Yumi Ogura. At least you will die like to the bigger wrestlers. <laughs> that is your job. <laughs> your job is to sell like death. Do so willingly. <laughs> Kana versus Mio Shirai. Hey, this was a fun match. Nice little technical match. Uh, closest to a lot of kicks that you'll you'll get. Uh, hey, it was fine. Yumioka Miyoshirai. It's exactly what you would expect it turn out to be where Yumioka just pummels poor Mio. Uh, just a lot of kicking as well. You can you can tell what a Miyoshirai match is structured around. Gami versus Toshiyamatsu. This is where Gami is starting to go full comedy mode at points. And then we get Gami versus Yumioka. Kind of a little rivalry oh, there. Book or woman. Yeah. Finance versus book. <laughs> Both have the book. Shocking. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the result of this particular match, but it's not all that memorable. Really yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't really matter in the end. Toshimatsu versus Kana. Hey, this is probably uh, Toshimatsu's best match. Uh, a lot of Lucha Libre and some nice roll-ups and submission games. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, we only got a third of this match, so maybe... Listen, it's okay. Toshimatsu is, Toshimatsu is an okay wrestler. She was trained at least trained by Chigusa Nagaya. Right. The it's, very it's least. Fine. It's fine. We only got to see <laughs> so she's, she's not hopeless. She's not hopeless. <laughs> you can carry her at least. You have to do some extra work to carry her, but she's at least able to do a competent match. Toshimatsu Mio Shirai. This is when Toshimatsu costs Mio Shirai from uh, third place, or if you if you can call it that, in the block. It's post match, Gammy pats her on the head. She's like, "Yay, you lost!" I'm like you bitch. <laughs> Get used to that. <laughs> yeah. And now we're to the August. That was part of the August tenth show, but now we're into the. The big time. We're we're at the final stretch of this tournament. We're in Shinkiba, <laughs> of all places. Hundred like fifty people on these shows. We're gonna find out why. Visual technical block, third place match, Gami versus Toshiyamatsu. They do a paper rock scissors battle. Get out of here. It's just nonsense. Gami wins. She's all happy. Whatever. Kobe could even book herself to win uh, John Ken Bo. Yeah. 
Visual Technical Block Finals. It is Yumioka versus Kana. And this was significantly better than their kind of three-minute sprint where Kana tapped her out. This went eight and a half minutes. No idea why it went such a short amount of time. That is very strange to me. Uh, and we'll get into a little time management here a little later. But yeah, they had some heated exchanges. I really liked uh, liked how the focus was on the head kicks, little MMA type background. Uh, there was a suplex or two, but they you know they do some AJW type go 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 style where they get up immediately, hit another move, knock each other out. Yumioka pins. Kana wins the block. My, how are we not? Shocked to see this result coming. Right. Well, I felt like Kana was going to lose eventually. Again, she has influence in the scene, but boy, she doesn't have as much influence as she probably likes to want to have at this point in her career. Oh, no. So, of course, the book woman's like, oh, hey, you're doing the job tonight. So all she could do is like, well, at the very least, my other two wrestlers are kind of out of this anyways. Whatever. Whatever, I'll go get indeed. booked somewhere else. Maybe they would have been better off sticking Kana, Io, and Mio all in the same block and kind of draw, do some draw power that way, and then they could kind of beat each other, and they might be more okay with that. And then uh, they'd at least be booked strong and get to the semifinals or something or another, but more on that. Something like here. that. Yeah, something I mean, there's like clearly that. other ways that could have gone about this. And then we got the loser battle royal survival wave, the people involved, the mighty Gami. Asami Kawasaki, Io Shirai, Masaki Iwata, Cherry, and Kana. A pick of the bunch. <laughs> okay. So this match was all about the Mighty Gami. It's all of the young wrestlers. They're kind of trying to gang up on Gami, but they're also against each other. Io Shirai just wants to leap off the top rope and hit people. Kana's trying to do submissions. There was no structure to this. And I rewatched this, K. Asami Kawasaki is just trying to go about this in a, as a singles match form. It's really funny. She gets out kind of early. Cherry's trying to roll people up. It's very awkward. And then there's Misaki Awada just going, she's like looking around this like stupid face on her that's just going, I don't want to be here. This is dumb. And there's Gammy parading on the mistake. apron. Oh my God, Gammy's parading on the apron, big smile on her face. She's, you know, looking at the crowd. She wants their approval. She doesn't give two shits about what's going on. And of course, she wins. She basically beats everybody in the, this match by herself. The mighty Gammy moves on to the semifinals. Dear God. Also, I don't remember the crowd ever reacting to her either because they're probably like, what the fuck? What? You're in the middle of a match. What are you, what are you doing? It's such a bizarre spectacle. she does a lot of showboating. Gaby sucks. I don't know if you know this, but Gaby at this point in her career, bad wrestler. Real bad wrestler. She oh, she's be rough. wrestling, actually. And her doing, she should be wrestling. Yeah, her doing roll-ups and wacky Lucha Libre with comedy. It's painful. It is painful. Look. I respect the Mighty Gammy to an extent, but dude, you're 42 years old. You're clearly hurting. Put someone over. More on the Mighty oh, Gammy later, bro. Kay. Does she put someone over? Okay, so here we go. August 11th, Shinkiba is the next day. This fucking show. 
All right, listen to this. Drew 160 people because it's in Shinkiba. This is the finals, mind you. You'd think they could get at least 200. Okay? Maybe. Nope. <laughs> nope. Maybe. I'm going to run down this card here. Just what's going on. Okay? So they do a draw of the final four. So your final four are Kurihara coming out of the rival block, Mizunami coming out of the young block, Oka coming out of the technical block, and the mighty Gami coming out of the battle royal. So they draw lots, and it's Kurihara versus Mizunami. So you're like, oh, great. Okay, that worked out. The, a young person will get to the finals, and they go at each other. Cool. And then they got Gammy versus Oka, Booker Woman versus the Financer. Fine. You can play into a good little wave story, okay? Between the people, the key people involved, your quote-unquote biggest stars. Good. So you get the biggest star in the promotion at the top, and you got a young person getting to the finals. Okay. All right. Let's go with that. Let's talk about how long these matches go, okay? Kurihara Mizunami goes five minutes. Gami versus Oka goes ten minutes. Also on this card, I won't spoil the results yet. Sawako Shimono against Moon Mizuki, a rookie match in the mid card goes eight minutes. And then there's an eight person battle royal involving various. Uh, People from the Catch the Wave and Sakura Hirota. That sucker goes almost 20 minutes. Why? I don't know. Just book it for because, eight. Because, Who cares? Because Sakura Hirota. Hirota has to get her gimmick in. She has to get her shtick in. All the comedy wacky bullshit that takes up an extra 15 fucking minutes. She's the Wave champion currently. Did you know that? I, I am very well aware of such news. So this battle royal goes on forever. You have a rookie match that goes on forever. I get it. You're trying to make them rest. But fuck, they only went like five minutes and ten minutes a pop. Are they on like an hour budget show? Like, I couldn't confirm that. But that's what this felt uh, like. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how long they booked Shinkiba, I guess. They could have booked it for an hour. Or, you know, it could be a certain person that... One, her block wants an extra nap in a honey bun. It's all right. I Ayumi Kurihara, Ryu Mizunami, very hyped for that match going in. It was great while it lasted. They went hard and fast. They tried to make, they tried to get as much shit in that you would a 15-minute match in five. And Kurihara wins. Very, conv very, uh, very convincing end. Mizunami got some close near falls there. I really liked it, but it was only five minutes. Why why are you only having them go for such a short amount of time? I could not wrap my head around that. Well, I mean, it's simple. It's it's not because they're not talented. It's because the old people got to get the longer time because that's what the people are there paying tickets for. That's literally what it is. It's literally like, well, people like Sakurota. All these people know who she is because she is a legend. So we'll give her an extra 15-minute match, but nobody knows who these... Mizunami, Kurahara, who, who cares? Nobody knows who they are. They're not here. They're not draws. It's very frustrating. Exactly what it is. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Gami versus Yumioka. 
10 minutes. You would think it's a good rivalry, but there is nothing to this match. Gammy is going through the motions. She's saving herself. It is so clear as day. And Yumioka is doing all of the work, trying to make something out of it. You know, boots in the corner. She runs around. Gammy wins. The mighty Gammy in the final against Ayumi Kurihara. Let's talk about this final. They go almost 17 minutes. Okay. It is non... It, it should be... It, you would think it would be the power of Gammy. Okay. Against Kurihara's speed and suplex. Or even maybe some mat work in there. Because they're clearly capable of it. That's not the match we got here. What no. we got... And I'm going to bury this match. Because it's such a representation of the scene and the lack of awareness of what's happening. Like It is so frustrating. This match was all about Gammy trying to look like the baddest bitch on the planet and not... She was stuffing Kurihara. Like, Kurihara was running around, and then she was waiting on her. Uh, Gammy was never in the right place. She was, it was... It was always about making Kurihara run and do the work, and then Gami would come to you on her time. The be the the best example of this was Kurihara is ready to get ready to do. Uh, she runs up to the turnbuckle, ready to do a drop kick, and then Gami stares at her instead of you know taking the few steps forward, and she's just continuing to stare at her. And Kurihara is like, "What's going on here? No clue." I just want to do the drop kick. It's like it's very clear that's what she wants to do. And then Gammy takes a couple steps and it looks like Kurihara is going to jump, but then Gammy just keeps walking slow. And then she sticks out her hand and Kurihara is like, "I don't know what's going on here. What is happening?" And Gammy just slaps her. So Kurihara is like, "All right, I guess we're doing this." Slaps her back. Gammy stops her hand and slaps her some more and throws her off the top rope and then parades to the crowd a lot. It's the greatest example of this match. It is old guard story saying, I'm tough, and you're going to have to prove to be tougher to me. And how does this match end? Gammy kicks out of all of her moves, at times doesn't sell anything. At times? Okay, a lot of times she doesn't sell anything for Kurihara. And if she, and if she does, she's match. actually gassed. She is actually blown up, so it's not selling. She just can't get up in time. She's hobbling around. She's starting to hit her power moves, okay? And this isn't the first time Gammy did this. Instead of actually kicking out or something, she has this brilliant idea where the ref's about to count three, and she just stops the she just reaches out and stops the ref ref's hand from going down. Okay, she did that in the Yumioka match, and she did it in the I believe Kana match against her. Okay, so this is her go-to move to, this is her grand idea where it's like, oh no, see, I'm going to stop the ref from counting three, and then it'll look like you pinned me. But then, as soon as you get up, and it's happened in all three cases, as soon as you pick her back up, she reverses her move, hits a big one, and basically pins you inside two minutes from there. This match was a travesty. It is Gammy doing fucking rope walks and Lucha Libre and just trying to be a show-off and stuffer. Kurihara worked her ass off to try to get something out of this match. This was 
an incredible frustrating example of the old guard story that they just don't they just can't help but tell and it's the only one they're capable of in the end and what happens gammy gets her hand raised and she berates kurihara she gets a stack of money gives her some money like trying to like act like the good person kurihara's got this like grin on her face like what's happening here okay i got a little extra money for doing the job whatever and then gammy rips her money away ah ha, ha, fooled you woo look at me booker woman got me the win whoop de doo Fuck this match. <laughs> so, I hate everything about this because we saw this just a few fucking days ago as of recording this episode. This exact thing. Exact thing. I won't sell. I am old guard. You have to prove tough. Problem is, that only works if you actually prove that they're tougher over time throughout the match, right? And it never happens. As the match comes. And it never fucking happens. <laughs> never sell. You gotta prove you're tougher than me. Meanwhile, I'm never going to let you prove you're tougher than me. So what was even the point of that? I hate the old guard with a burning passion. Because all of them... Every last one of them, be it ones in the past, ones in the current times, your fucking uh, Nanais, your Hotas, your Ozakis, your Mako Satamoras, they are what has held the scene down for decades. There's been so much good talent, so much talented-ass wrestlers coming through that get stuffed by these old, no-talented hacks that can't make well, it anymore. Well, they used can't to have anymore. talent. <laughs> Don't have talent anymore and that's what's important <laughs> they have no talent they're gassed they can't work they aren't they aren't they aren't draws their ego makes them think they're fucking draws but when you're selling 160 tickets you're not a fucking draw i'm sorry you're not you can't do more than 200 people you're not a draw at all ever right. done your career's over you need to stop it you need to retire hang it up somebody over the problem with gaming is she doesn't put anyone over even when she retires all of them do this. Every last one of them do this. It's infuriating. It's frustrating. I hate it. Like, I hate it so much. I totally understand like getting the veteran to beat Yumioka. Look, she's a 31-year-old. You can build her up. She's clearly going to be the key player in Wave. Fine. Look, she won the first year. This is year two now. Okay? Whom is... You've clearly put a lot of faith in Kurihara. Just put her over. That's all it takes. And then the next time Kuriyahara comes, you can build a matchup with her against Gami, Yumi Oka, and company. And then you can beat her later. Like, Wade doesn't even have a title at this point in time. So their title is the Catch the Wave tournament winner. So, of course, Booker people's got to win, right? It's so aggravating. And you're and, and then I, I already... I, I, you, uh, yeah, you're getting, you're getting frustrated just like me. It's problem here is the problem here is is you could do that. You could do that, right? And you should do that. Actually, by all accounts, Gammy should have done the job here. Much like Denai should have done the job against Momo. Much like all of them should be doing the job when they get to this sort of point in their career and they're facing somebody up and coming. The problem is it's twofold. It's my ego tells me I'm better than you, and second, if I lose to you, I might become irrelevant. And that's never and that's never actually the case, right? Like, 41-year-old, no, no, 41, 42-year-old Gammy, at this point in her career, she has legend status. You know, you whatever your definition of a legend is, let's just say she's a legend, okay, for the sake of this. She is a veteran presence in the company 
at 41, 42 years old, she has at the very least respect of enough. Okay. She can lose and nothing will, nothing bad will happen. It's if she loses over and over and over again, where it becomes the irrelevant pattern. And that's when they lose, you know, their, their credibility. Gammy gets to the finals and loses to the young up-and-coming star. Gammy's not going to lose anything. The mighty Gammy isn't going to get off her pedestal. What it's going to do, and I said this again, I'll say this again, it has to be said, Kurihara is going to be a much bigger star for it, and the next time she shows up in Wave, you will draw a little bit more with her because people know the fact that she won the tournament, and you can build stories, and you can build an audience off that with these new stars you know these draws and how we were talking about the booking of the tournament and you know creating some drama look they they booked it ultimately fine enough but when you fall on your face at the finish line like this this is why the scene failed to grow what a great example of why we get so frustrated when we see something like an old guard story in 2021 or 11 years ago. This is why nothing happens. It's why nobody gets over. I don't and it's give why a shit about guard... your three and three quarter, four star. Ah, they worked stiff match. Ah, the, the, you know, what a, what a dream matchup that is. I don't give a shit. I've seen the story play out over and over again. Kay. <laughs> and the fans in attendance in this match and the fans in attendance of the Budokan show is startup. Didn't, fucking care they don't care who you are you're the legend bravo do you want a cookie doing anything right. you winning it's just them like oh, okay cool that was the result in this case it's like oh yeah that was the expected result which is dumb you don't condition your fans to be that way and in modern times it's who are you in, who are you again because you're not relevant and the, the funniest part is is the companies that have grown the ones that didn't have these people involved or when they started growing these people were out of the picture it's like you have to cut the cancer out to grow so let's that's what these people are let's transition to our main topics here uh stemmed off of the catch the wave and we've touched on a lot of it let's talk about the archaic dojo system example where a lot of it is stemmed from the ajw days jwp llpw where they just Dyer. can't right dire. They just can't keep nor produce rookies. Okay, because Wave, for example, here the Pro Wrestling Wave promotion. Top of your head, they got two rookies here in this tournament. Have you ever heard of them in 2021? Nope. And okay. Sawako didn't retire until 20, 2019. And I didn't even know about that until I had to look it up because she's such an irrelevant person. She doesn't matter. So that would have been nine years later. Sounds like we should have heard of her uh, as an example. How many produced rookies did Wave have over the last decade? You're talking about people of notoriety? None. They've never produced a notable rookie. Roe is the closest they've gotten and she fucking retired. Before they could do anything around her. You got to do something. You got to keep these people. So why can't they keep rookies? Ice Ribbon doesn't seem to have an issue with that. And we, we spoke about it in a previous episode. 
culture? Is it culturally that they can't keep them? Is it how they treat them in the dojo? I mean, we've seen AJW videos where the mindset is to train these women to make it seem real to them. And it's hard, it's and they're bars, doing yeah. chores, and they're just constantly doing drills. Are they creating drawing stars and drawing wrestlers? Are they creating personalities, or are they just creating a body? And then the body deteriorates and then leaves. So I want to, to preface my argument here with uh, an example so there's companies that, like you mentioned, Ice Ribbon, uh, TJPW, Stardom, companies that didn't have this old influence, or the influence was of the old guard, and Stardom's case was gone early in their, in their lifespan. And the case of Ice Ribbon was Emi Sakura, who is very much not of the old guard mindset. Oh, no. They don't have, <laughs> they don't have trouble keeping rookies, right? At this point in Joshi, I don't believe the kayfabe training that they were doing, where they were doing this mountain training shit that didn't apply to wrestling at all. This indoctrinated kayfabe stuff, I don't think was the case anymore. Oh, meditation I, I in the mountains was... uh, won't uh, won't make you a better wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knew, right? <laughs> I, I don't think that was the case at this point anymore. I think it was the culture in the locker room, the culture in the dojo. And I think we see a glimpse of that. We saw a glimpse of that. With stardom and the early goings with the Nye. Oh yeah. You hear, when we've heard things that have come out from there, it's very toxic. It's denying her click, and if you're not with her click, you've got to try to find somebody that back you because they will eat you alive. Mm-hmm. We saw that with Act. You step out of line, her click wants to get a piece of you. Or in this case, in that case, the Nye wants a piece of you, and so she sends out her fucking protege to go do it for her because yeah, she's more on, her- more on that way she- later. Too much of a bitch to do that herself, right? Doesn't want to put the blood in her hands, does it, to her protege? Right, getting off topic there a little bit, but I understand. Right, right, but it's 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 the it's the culture in the locker room isn't good because we don't just see it with Wave, we see it with Neo, we see it a bit with JWP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, we saw it a lot with, with JWP actually. Right, right, but they still produce a few people, very few, but they have your Hanako Nakamura's that come up through the system and. They have a few people that come up through, right? Arisa Nakajima being another example of people who've come through the system in the 2010s eras, right? And finances have have a lot to do with it and managing it. Absolutely. I mean, there is there is some something to be right. said about how you manage your finances. And I was just about to go that direction. Yeah. It's like at this point, Wave isn't making a whole lot of money. Wrestling isn't making a whole lot of money, so you really have to sell these people on it to come in there, right? And most of these wrestlers aren't wrestling full-time like they're wrestling full-time but they got a part-time job on no- as the notoriously has had jobs as freelance writers and working at nintendo and xbox and stuff like that that's how she made money she didn't make money with wrestling wrestling didn't make money for them at this point like you make some money but not enough to live off of right? good example here is yumioka yumioka was working at a clothing store she's open to it. she worked at a clothing store because she wasn't making money wrestling not enough to live off of it's the sort of the mentality. So when you're trying to sell a young, up and coming, eighteen, nineteen year old wrestler, like you know the demographic you would want, so you can mold them into a wrestler. They're young and they can have a career ahead of them. You have to sell them on this lifestyle, and it's really, really hard to sell them on this lifestyle. I'd say it's impossible. And then when they do sign up, they see what it's about, and then they want out. Wave and Neo were the two biggest problems with that. Like Neo could never keep rookies. Wave could never keep rookies. Ever. 
it's it's not it's not just a culture it's a finance and the culture and it's what the problem was and of course you have the old guard who isn't going to do anything and likely isn't even training you they're putting their name they're, they're stamping their name on your training certificate but fucking gammy isn't training anybody you kidding me she can barely wrestle herself how is she gonna train somebody <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something to look out for, and watch out what happens here with Wave as we continue through the 2010s, because at at the current time you see some big names coming in here, right? Watch out that it becomes this kind of broken pipeline system, because, for example, a company will finally make moves, removing the freelancers, becoming into an actual system, so that leaves two options available, either your promotion becomes a feeder. Like, you are the pipeline to the bigger companies, which is fair. That's fine. There always needs to be tiers to, to some things, right? Got to start somewhere, and then you move up. Okay. Or you fail. Because then now you can't rely on freelancers because you can't produce your own talent. What do you think Oz Academy is going to be like in five years? So it's interesting that you bring that topic up. So I wanted to bring up a little thing, given that we're looking at this 2010 stuff, and this is a pivoting point in the scene, right? This is where the scene starts coming out of the Dark Ages, and we start seeing some of the dregs being kind of cast off and certain promotions coming up and building stuff for themselves, right? It's a very big pivotal point in the industry, right? We're seeing that now in 2021. We're also living through our own big pivotal point in the scene. I think where this pivotal point differs than the current one we're watching through here in 2010 is at this point, promotions still kind of feel like they're on even ground. And they would still continue to feel like they're kind of on even ground. Maybe some are slightly above others, right? Even to this day, they still some of that, right? Then we see one company breaking ahead of the pack, in this case, Stardom, modern day, right? AGW back in its day. Oh, yeah. Right? break across the pack and they're the leader right they're the one that everyone's going to wanting to work with and flock to all the trainees are signing up for that promotion because well that one can make money and that one's got the people on the tvs and the magazines right that one i can actually make a living off of (laughs) right and that one most importantly that one i know exists a big one right exposure you you don't have to you're not sitting out there in front of a a shopping market with flyers you're not coming to them they're coming to you and that's important. And that's what Stardom's got going for them right now, right? And I think we're going to see this sort of tier system that you mentioned, right? We're going to see that solidified more in like a more of a layered pipeline, right? Where Stardom will be at the top, and then you'll have your second layer of promotions, and I think that's going to be your TGPWs and your Ice Ribbons, right? Those seem like right, the ones because there's only going to be so many spots available, so that, le- that leads a trickle-down effect. Okay, well, I, right. I didn't make it here. Well, there's there's another option, and that's that's the greatness of when one company does well, then other companies will then do well off of it. Right, and now these promotions aren't going to feel like they don't even footing anymore. I think that does to the attendance and to people signing up. I think we're coming in the coming years. We're not going to just see three or four promotions die off. We're probably going to see like ninety percent of the scene go. Yeah, and then, and then the way the scene's been structured, there aren't any new people in some of these older promotions. Diana has two people. They can go elsewhere at any point and probably will be offered contracts to go elsewhere and would gladly jump outside of loyalty. I don't see what would hold them. Oz Academy mentioned, right? Oz Academy is just built off the backs of its old people, its old guard. But once people don't care anymore, 
then you don't make money anymore. Well, you, you see Oz Academy running less and less and less each year. Yes, and there's a reason for that, because they've become just a super show promotion. And eventually that loses its luster, right? You don't... The Ozaki, Ozaki goon crap, right? and seeing Aja Kong beat up Ozaki, that loses its, its, its sort of fun after a while. Well, I mean, right? isn't that what happened to LLPW? I, I haven't done a lot of research on it, but that's what happened to LLPW in the end. It just slowly became a super show promotion, and then over time... <laughs> the difference is LLPW is like running... Barely, right. They're running like roller rinks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I, I, modern I know. times, they're you not get, running. They're not running anything. You get what I'm saying. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're, I get what you're saying, right? We're going to see a lot of the scene go away, and I think it's healthy. As much as we're like, well, what about the jobs? Well, most of these jobs people are holding in these promotions are old guard, anyways. So I don't think much is lost, right? Some of these people need to be forced into retirement at this point. So I think that would be how you do it, right? Hoto would have to hang up her boots if nobody's booking her. She ain't making money. Have to hang them up, do like some kind of talking tour, or maybe be a personal trainer or something. Like things that these people could do outside of this. Your Aja Kongs and stuff will probably still have a spot somewhere, right? Because if she's still able to, she's still willing to work and do jobs, right? As we've seen. Hell, in the we past, just saw, right? we just saw two. Like, look at look at this example here. AEW books a women's tournament in Japan, of all things. So that's cool in itself. Emi Sakura and Aja Kong. You could call them old guards. Absolutely. They absolutely are. They are gold guards. But look what happened. They were booked strong in the first round, and they did, and then they did the job to a young star that's trying to be made. Yuka right. and Mizunami. Excellent, right? And, and guess, they went, I guess, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. And then, and then, in contrast, look what happens with Nene and Queen Mayumi Ozaki. They just never lose. Who, how many people, or Mako, for that example, which is really funny because Mako just lost the UK immediately. <laughs> but anyway. Then she booked it back to Japan. She yeah. booked it back to Japan. Uh, that's hilarious. Let, let's stick with Mako and, and Nene Takahashi. How many people have they truly put over in the last six years? One? Z zero. Because even the person they put over doesn't get put over properly. Chihiro and Nakajima? Chihiro and Yoshiko. Yeah, yeah, Risa Nakajima, but there's a Risa Nakajima Yoshiko there. I, wouldn't, I don't think Yoshiko's ever beaten Nene in a singles match to date, has she? I think she has, but I don't. But it's it's such an irrelevant thing that, that it, the fact that I don't remember know. it kind of says a lot. The fact that it doesn't feel like she has says a lot. That's the perception, right? Like if I told I told you that Mako had beaten, or she had beaten Mako to win, be the second ever holder of that belt. If I didn't tell you that. You wouldn't know that because Mako's still. Put above Chihiro, the person that she's supposed to have let succeed her. Right. That's the problem. You're not putting somebody over properly. You're doing the pinfall, but then you're not doing the follow through. So it didn't even matter that you took that you ate the pin. Because it's not even eating it at that point. So this Catch the Wave tournament in 2010 brought some very interesting topics to us. It got us to watch a representation of the scene of the time and a big foreshadowing of the future of not just the promotion, but a number of different promotions that do the same thing. Sendai, Oz Academy, Wave, JWP, which becomes Pure J. Diana. Diana is another example that pops up. So keep all of these topics in mind. I hope you guys learned a lot listening uh, yes, we sound frustrated. We may have buried something way further than than 
maybe a rational human being could do. But it is it is us, with it, yeah. It is generally us caring about the wrestlers involved, what we're seeing, and something to get excited about just to see it be taken away with the repetition of frustration. And that's what makes things build and make us hot. Hot fire right. anger, right? So yeah. just keep just keep in mind where we're coming from and and learn along with us. See these things happen in real time. That is why we're going about this from kind of a month to month basis over a year to year. Because when you have context with everything, when you become a fan of something and you watch your promotion, you know, week in, week out, month to month, and you start seeing things fall apart and you see the say and you just see history repeat itself, you don't want to see something fail. You want to see something succeed and go to the next point. So this catch the way of 2010 was not just enlightening. I hope it brought about a lot of topics. And let me look at, let me pull up what our schedule is looking like here uh, for the next episode. Because I think we're going to kind of do a ba little backtrack episode of some recommended matches that were uh, thrown at us. Or no, our next episode is actually over Oz Academy, our first full Oz Academy show. And then we'll kind of do a little neat little backwards uh, match presentation there. First Oz Academy right. show, okay? You excited? Uh, no. No, I'm not. That Shinjuku Listen, face I, of all places, by the way. Of course, of course it is. That's like literally their hometown. That's like where they book everything because only like 500 people would see them at a time. Yeah. So that's Facts. uh yeah the the name of that is Pure King 225 Dream Girls. That's uh from June 13, 2010. That'll be our next episode. This was a real long one, but it kind of needed to be. We need a lot of preparation for this for the topics. Guys, I hope you enjoyed. Please consider subscribing to the Redleaf Retrocast Patreon to further support these things. And those that have supported, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We'll see you next time. See you guys.